We're good to go, Mr. Chair. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the December monthly meeting of the Revenue Bond Oversight Committee. We um, are we have quorum, so Mr. Clark, over to you. First matter of business today is roll call. Members, when you hear your name, please indicate whether or not you're present. Chair Leal. Aye. Leal, present. No, Member Camp. Present. Absent. <laughs> Member Futhi. Present. Futhi, present. Member Tang. Present. Tang, present. Member Holliber. Yes, sir. Holliber, present. Mr. Chair, we have a quorum, but Mr. Camp is missing today. Thank you, Mr. Clark. Um, please call out the next agenda item. The next agenda item is general public comment. This is the opportunity for members of the public who have public comments on matters that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of ARBOC but that are not on today's agenda to address the committee for three minutes apiece. If you are connected remotely and you wish to speak on general public comment, please raise your hand inside Teams and we will hear from you. And Mr. Chair, it appears that we have no general public comment at this time. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, public comment is now closed. Uh, the next agenda item, please. Agenda item number three, SFPUC Revenue Bond Audit Phase 2, finding numbers 1 and 2. Members of ARBOC will discuss finding numbers 1 and 2 from the Phase 2 audit. Finding number 1 is non-completion of impartiality and confidentiality statements by all individuals associated with procurement. Finding number two is SFPUC should quantify and report on overhead rates charged for SF Public Works sewer engineering facilities. I'm sorry, sewer engineering activities. This is a discussion and possible action item. We'll be taking public comments as part of the discussion. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. So uh, for background, so this is uh, essentially a follow-up on the um, audit dated August 30th. Uh, this is a performance audit of select revenue bonds. Uh, this is audit number two, and to get us started, why don't we start with funding number two? Um, we're um, delighted to have uh, Miss Nancy Holm today here with us. And but before turning it over to her, uh, I would like to ask CSA, um, HKA, and Yano to remind us uh, a little bit about the context of finding number two. Uh, why it is a finding, and uh, also why it is relevant to our book. Hi, uh, this is Hunter Wong with CSA. Um, good morning, committee members. Um, Eugene, would you like to would you like to take a first a first shot at first shot at what the committee chair is asking for? And you are on mute. Thank you. Good morning, members of the uh, ARBOC. Uh, Eugene Yano from Yano Accountancy Corporation. Uh, reason for the um, this uh, observation is that we noticed that um, PUC is, for for whatever reason, uh, uses the services of SFPW, uh, which has a group that basically is appears to be uh, substantially dedicated to providing services only to PUC, um, which raises all sorts of questions and uh, by themselves. Um, but looking at um, SFPW's uh, overhead rates and 
by way of some more background, um, SFPUC is called an enterprise fund, and SFPW is a um, internal service fund. And so I will say um, that internal service funds uh, on an apples to apples basis almost always has uh, a higher um, overhead rate on the same labor than an enterprise fund. And um, there are numerous reasons for it, but that's not um, important uh, for today's discussion. And so we looked at you know, how much uh, SFPW is uh, charging on SFPUC projects. And let me also say that uh, certain components of it S should be charged by SFPW as an entity. So uh, from that perspective, we're not questioning that. Um, we are concerned about SFPW uh, working on SFPUC um, projects where there really is a choice. And also by way of some uh, background, you know, we understand, yes, there is a MOU between um, the two major funds. So, um, you know, contracting aside, okay, um, you know, what we're seeing is that because of the way the, the city's organization is set up, um, SFPUC is basically paying more for services from this group than um, it would be if these employees were were in funds other than uh, PW. Thank you for that. Any any anything else from uh, perhaps HKA or CSA on, on this topic? Yeah, Eugene, thanks for giving that um, explanation. The only other things that uh, I would add on behalf of CSA is just that um, we, you know, the finding is really to is really for RBOC recommending RBOC and PUC to evaluate what those overhead rates are. Um, this was not an overhead rates audit, so we did not do a a deep dive or analysis of public works um, overhead rates. I don't, that's not within the scope of this engagement. And so um, just want to clarify what that, what the scope of this was and really that our recommendation is RBOC may want to get a deeper understanding of what the monetary impact is. Thank you. Um, thank you for, for the explanation. I would like to turn it over to uh, Ms. Nancy Hong, who is uh, the Chief Financial Officer at PUC. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good morning, Chair Liao and committee members. My name is Nancy Hong, Chief Financial Officer and Assistant General Manager for Business Services. Thank you for inviting me here today to provide a brief overview on what coastal internal controls are and how the SFPC embeds the components of this framework in our organization. 
Um, just kind of just starting off from the very top, um, you know, COSO, what that stands for is the Committee of Sponsoring Organizations with the goal. Um, they have a goal to provide thought leadership and guidance um, on internal control, enterprise risk management, and fraud deterrence. And currently, right now, um, those, those organizations are comprised of um, the AICPA, Institute of Internal Auditors, and some other uh, professional organizations that are specific to finance executives and um, the like. Um, their guidance is globally recognized and used by organizations to, to design, implement, and evaluate internal controls and enterprise risk management frameworks. Um, many professional consulting organizations and governance functions in uh, businesses do use and adopt their guidelines with the objective to enhance performance and provide financial reporting, reliable financial reporting. The internal control framework is comprised um, of five components that create a comprehensive framework, and they're listed here um, in this, um, this, this graphic here. Um, they're supported uh, further by 17 principles of effective control, um, and together they create the framework. Um, you see the components here on the left. Um, there are the control environment, risk assessment, control activities, information and communications, and monitoring activities. And so, for example, the 17 effective principles are on the right side. And, and for example, under the control environment, um, there are five. So examples of principles are like demonstrating commitment to integrity and ethical values, exercising oversight and responsibility, establishing structure, authority, and responsibility, demonstrating commitment to competence, and enforcing accountability. I'm not going to go through all 17, but here are seven, the, the, def, the various principles that an organization should consider to implement and embed within their processes if they are adopting COSO um, internal controls. And how the city uses COSO, um, the controller's office um, is our governing body, I guess you could say, when it comes to finance and audits and um, internal control. The city uses um, the COSO internal control integrated framework as it um, uh, uses that framework and all departments shall maintain effective internal control systems as an integral part of their management practices. City departments must establish and maintain policies and procedures with department-specific details supplementing the framework. And this is in the controller's accounting uh, policy and guidelines. Um, you know, the city serves auditor. We work closely with them on how to do this. Um, for the most part, and I'll explain later in this presentation, that we have our own audit bureau that does incorporate these internal controls into organization, but many city departments may not have that, and they work very closely with CSA for their annual audit plans, um, and those audit plans are based on some of the, the guiding principles here from the COSO framework. At the SFPUC, we maintain robust internal control systems, and we do integrate these into our management practices. We have an uh, abide by separation of duties in our procurement processes. Um, we provide strict oversight over contract management, and we engage in routine audits from multiple departments. And later, I'll explain a little bit more about this. You know, we are um, the only city department in the um, in the city that we have our own audit bureau that also maintains its own charter, and that is based on uh, the, the framework here. Um, you have probably worked with IRELA quite a bit by now to miss IRELA Blackwood was formerly with um, the city service auditor, and we are lucky to have her here with us. Um, that same bureau uh, maintains an annual audit plan and coordinates closely with the city service auditor for that annual planning. 
Uh, also provides a quarterly audit and performance review report to the commission, highlighting an average of 35 to 40 audits um, each year. So what are some of the advantages of using the internal control framework? Um, the PUC supports the city's use and adoption of the COSO framework, and we see that there are um, there are several advantages to our agency by doing this, and that is borne out through procedures, policies, and practices that we have here. Um, in our framework, we strive for improved governance, and that, again, is to enhance governance, ensure accountability, transparency, and ethical behaviors. Uh, we use this to also enhance have enhanced risk management by systemically identifying, assessing, and responding to identified risks. And our organization proactively manages uncertainties and makes informed decisions to mitigate adverse impacts. Um, another key uh, objective with implementing an internal control framework is having reliable financial reporting. And that's crucial to maintaining our investor confidence and meeting our regulatory requirements. And I'm very proud to say we have never had a a misstatement in our financial statements for the time that at least I've been here at the PUC, and that's been 15 years. We've had multiple CFOs and deputy CFOs since that time. And lastly, it's also to enhance organizational efficiency to demonstrate our commitment to sound governance and risk management. Um, what you see here in this graphic is a little small, um, is the integrated internal control framework, and that's a multifaceted cube, and it demonstrates how organizations can maintain an integrated uh, framework. And what you see on the front there are the five components that I had previously listed off. You know, the control environment, risk assessment, control activities, communications, and monitoring activities. Uh, down on the right side, a little small to see, um, you see the different levels of an organization starting with, um, with the entity level, which is basically the top. And it will continue with division, operating unit, and function. And so the intent there is to, um, sorry, I've lost my notes. Sorry. Um, that is to ensure that your internal controls are embedded in the organization from top to down, on the top. Um, you know, we've had an internal control function since 2008 in a different form. Um, it, it, you know, that was created, it's called Assurance and Internal Controls back in 2008. Um, the main objective back then in the commission during that time was to create um, a body in the PUC that would work with auditors and for the most part, um, and in short, just wrangle all the audits that were coming into the organization so that management was aware of these audits happening and there was communication um, so that they could implement the recommendations and be held accountable um, based on what recommendations and findings had come up. Um, the group also ensured that audit, audit engagements were adequately completed and auditors had complete information. And again, that management received and understood any audit reports and recommendations. And in addition, the team would also advise upon implementation of those recommendations and kept the commission informed every quarter. And over the years, the Audit Bureau has been restructured and is now a separate bureau led by Ms. Irella Blackwood. She is the audit director. She works closely with senior and executive management to ensure that internal controls are embedded in our organization and that we hold ourselves accountable through regular monitoring and governance and that we adhere to policies and procedures. Um, every spring, she works with senior management to identify areas of risk and communicates those to CSA, the city service auditor, where uh, we are not able to perhaps work those objectives into our plans. We try to, we try to have assessments and implement programs internally um, the PUC is known for its very extensive policies and procedures, 
other enterprise departments like to call us and borrow them and leverage them, and I think that's a great thing. We, we're, we're very happy to share that, and so I'm very proud to say that my colleagues and I, um, we're known for having a very, uh, very extensive and long policy procedures that adhere to guidelines in the city. So that concludes my presentation, and I'm glad to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you very much for <coughs> reminding the committee about COSO and how they can implement it in the city and, uh, and throughout PUC. Uh, does the committee have any comments or any questions? I mean, we heard from CSA and from Mr. Yano about the CCW overhead rate uh, and also from Ms. Home about COSO. and confidentiality statements by all individuals associated with procurement. Uh, so we'd like to welcome Mr. Stephen Robinson, AGM of Infrastructure, uh, who is joining us today and uh, will uh, um, speak about this topic. But before we do that, I would like to go back to Janos CSA and HKA uh, for them to remind us about the genesis of this finding and what it really means for ARBA. Chair Dale, sorry yeah. to interrupt for a moment, but good morning, members of the committee. Um, uh, AGM, Stephen Robinson for PUC Infrastructure Division. So we look after all the capital work, so hence you're here. I was on point and front and center with our audit team in response to this audit. And um, we actually have two of my colleagues with us today who can help talk about two of the recommendations, one of which is in finding one and one of which is in finding two. So maybe before we move on to the next one, we could, if you want to continue the conversation about the public works element, we have a brief presentation on it as well. Great. Then there will be, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll finish that. Um, so while we're loading up, thank you. Um, there were three recommendations that came out of these two findings. And um, the first finding uh, had two, and one of those is, as you've just introduced, um, about the impartiality um, situation. That we partially concurred with, and we're ready to explain why. But the one about public works and the, the rates and overheads, we, unfortunately, after lots of discussion, did not come to a place resolution and we did not concur. So we thought it would be useful today to explain our position and why we felt that and make sure that it's open and transparent and see where we move forward from there. Um, so with that, um, I have Rosie Angel with us today who looks after our infrastructure budget and finance group. Um, so maybe appropriate to do the public works piece to continue that conversation. We wanted to talk about COSO initially um, because that seems to be an overarching framework and theme in some of the findings right from the discussions that you've heard today. Um, and that's why we started with COSO first with um, AGM Hall. But we can go to the public works element. I think we'll go to Angel. That would be great. Okay. And thank you and welcome. Thank you. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair, Leo, and committee members. My name is Rosiana Angel. I'm with SFPUC Infrastructure Division, Infrastructure Budget and Finance. And um, I'm going to address recommended recommendation number three. Um, so, um, can you go to the next slide? 
right here. So this is just to refresh our memory on what the finding is, and uh, uh, you know, it's highlighted in yellow. So I also would like to uh, first mention that we uh, uh, we don't coordinate with RBOC because RBOC is the governing body. So we uh, provide you with status updates. We provide you with uh, reports uh, and answer any questions you may have and so forth. So whenever you have any questions, feel free to uh, request for the information and we'll, we'll be more than happy to provide you with that information. Um, so um, one of the reasons why we don't concur with um, recommendation number three that uh, we need to report on the monetary impacts of SFPC, I mean, as a public works uh, overhead rates is because SF Public Works is a performing department, the city performing department. So they perform work not just for the PUC, but they performing work for the rest of the um, city department. And so their indirect cost plan is formal. So uh, they don't, they don't, just conduct a study and then publish. They publish it every year. They publish it so that everyone knows, every city department knows, when we have a master MOU and we have subsequent MOUs that is project specific, they actually display. So this report is available to everyone. We just have to request it. And we do request it once a year just so that we can do some check and balances. Um, we'll be more than happy to provide that to uh, Mr. Yano or to ARPOC as needed. Um, PUC, on the other hand, uh, Infrastructure Division is the, the division that self-performs all SFPUC work. So the engineering, construction management, design, planning, and so forth. So the way infrastructure uh, is um, uh, design is infrastructure recovered from capital projects. So we're not comparing apple to an apple when we are comparing our recovery rate with as a public work indirect cost plan because it's not really apple to an apple. So, um, but we'll be more than happy to provide you a more detailed explanation if you need to. Uh, if you know, if you want to take a deeper dive on how we work and how as a public public works work. Um, on top of that, we have um, an MOU that Mr. Yano also already mentioned uh, with as a public work that um, they have the first right of refusal. So we. We don't go elsewhere. We don't go to our consultant. Uh, we go to Public Works first and ask, uh, depending on the, the budget, the schedule, uh, criticality of that um, delivery, uh, we then decide, our project manager then decide uh, whether we're going to go with Public Works or we're going to seek outside help, which is our consultant, to perform the work. Um, we also are uh, compatible with our consultants. So we are always mindful of the 
you know, how it's going to cost the SFPUC. So we look at our consultant overhead, right? Uh, we um, have full disclosure, basically, when we award the contract. So we know how much that's going to cost us. Um, and we ourselves, we are always, you know, infrastructure division, we're always mindful of uh, how much, you know, uh, how much we're charging to project. So we want to be compatible with industry standards. So therefore, we uh, are very careful in terms of spending uh, our money because all of our expenditures actually get charged to our capital program, capital project. So that concludes my, um, my presentation. Uh, if you have any questions, I'll be more than happy to answer. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Um, does the committee have any questions for Ms. Angel? I had a question about that right of first refusal. Um, I'm just curious about, I don't know if you know anything about the history of that, or is that something that could potentially be amended to, you know, consider other factors, such as if there's another consultant willing to do the work for less, um, who's qualified, and that should be something that could be you know, considered by the PUC. I speak loudly towards the microphone so people can let us know if we can't hear us okay uh, here online. Thank you. Uh, my, my understanding is back in 1995, um, I know that year is when there was a reorganization between the rules of serving the water power sewer work between PUC and, and public works. And at that time, it was decided to keep this hydraulic section that's referred to in, in the audit doing primarily work for us at PUC on our wastewater system inside public works while PUC branched off into the wastewater enterprise and what we now know as infrastructure serving the wastewater enterprise with its capital needs. Um, uh, there's a first round of refusal written into the MOU between the two departments, PUC and public works so that we're using the most efficient resources and best knowledge and expertise that we have in the city as city staff. Um, rather than going to a consultant, which as a former consultant, I can state the best reason to use a consultant would be for technical expertise, that it doesn't justify you having on staff permanently or for volume peak demand when you have a lot of work happening and a surge of activity. So using, a, we have a thousand miles of pipe in the city for our sewer um, and the public work staff know it intimately so the idea and the intention, I believe, on our side from that pretty old MOU now, um, is to make sure we're using the best available resources that are most efficient to do the work because they know the system really intimately. Does that help answer the question? Yeah. Thank you. And uh, understandably, it's been questioned and challenged sometimes by consultants, right, who want to come in and help. Um, and we have a very delicate balance and understanding of how we work then, how we spread the work around between consultants and our city staff, and mm -hmm. um, making sure we're using the best available resources as appropriate to them. So, so does your staff have some type of initial estimate before it goes to public works and to make sure it's a reasonable, you know, cost that you're getting from them? Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I've, I've heard public works even refer to themselves as a consultant providing services to San Francisco PUC. You could debate and argue if that's in a correct terminology, but in the sense that we have a need and we then think about what that need is, conclude or come up with some idea of what that scope is, have some expectation based on previous work about what that might cost or what might time it might take. And we would, if appropriate, approach public works first, for which then they will provide a scope, schedule, and budget. They'll effectively prepare a mini proposal. 
Um, and ultimately, if we agree and that makes sense, we'll ultimately turn it into some kind of work order where there's a document that exchanges effectively becomes a contract between the two bodies underneath this MOU and they perform the services. So, you know, highly documented, highly organized, needs to be, and we need a clear justification of why we use public works to support us um, on when we make a decision to use a consultant. And I'll, I'll reiterate those two primary reasons, the technical expertise that we can't or don't need to have on hand. Large diameter tunneling is an example of that. We don't do that very often. We shouldn't do that very often. And it's, that's not an expertise we have as a city. We, we typically will use a consultant to help us with some high risk subterranean geotechnical work because we don't have that. We don't do a lot of that. Um, but day-to-day -day small diameter sewers that we see in all of our streets in San Francisco, public works will be the majority of design and construction management for that. Um, member Rupi, just want to follow up with a question. How, how often, if ever, does it happen for public works to turn down the work? Or is it in the situation you just described when they might not have the expertise? Yep, it, it does happen, and I would say regularly in the sense that they regularly accept work and regularly turn down too, because we're using this model of being most efficient about how we do our work between us. Um, so we have a variety of projects across the city and all the way up to Hitchy, um, from our water system coming from uh, Moxon and the Shaughnessy Dam all the way down to the ocean. And there's a variety of different technical needs and projects and things that we work on. Um, and we do that on a regular basis. Some of our engineering team, um, our peers and colleagues, connect and meet with public works in on a monthly basis, talk about upcoming work, um, and make sure we understand who's the best possible resource to do that. Some of that then depends on public works availability and capacity too, because they're serving other city departments. And there's times when there's a surge of activity and surge of work that and public works will be involved in, and they're trying to choose themselves between which project is most efficient or uh, makes most sense for them to work on as a city. I'm curious that given the uh, the importance of the, the services provided by public works to infrastructure and um, regular um, services they provide, why wouldn't this um, um, this uh, little division like included in infrastructure originally during the reorganization in 1995? Great question, and I was not around in 1995 to know a detailed answer. Not unfortunately, um, I, I I don't know. Simply, unless anyone else wants to weigh in. 1995, that, that part I do know. And, and our auditors had to look back into it, I think, and to the history of why. Um, and for some reason, I think the function of the work that they did, perhaps, I might surmise now, but perhaps when private development happens around the city and other departments like MTA are interfacing with a new development and what it needs to bring utilities to those developments, then perhaps there's a request for the city to work together on how utilities are connected. So from a utility perspective, someone back then may have made a decision that made more sense to keep that function of providing utility in our city and connected to public works. I have a question. Does DPW charge the same overhead to the other enterprises, the airport, yep. or so it's the same across the board. It's the rate card. It's not just a PUC. Exactly. Overhead. So their indirect cost plan is published <coughs> annually, and it, it applies across everybody to the agency. So this was part of our response, ultimately, why we unfortunately concluded that we didn't concur in that sense to coordinate with. In that sense, we should not be coordinating with the ARBARC. We're here to have you in an oversight rule. 
Um, but because Public Works serves all the city departments and their financial structure, the way they organize themselves, is not something that would be separate for PUC as it would for NTA, for example. Um, and because their published um, audit financial reports are all available, all that information is accessible and it's not something to drill into a specific PUC niche of it, which is why we unfortunately concluded that way. Okay, thank you for that. Does the committee have any other questions, any thoughts? Like sure. I had one thing I'd like to confirm with you. So, um, given the comments, there are some other comments in the report. So, I just want to confirm with you with the implementation of SuperSoft in 2017, so now PUC is tracking uh, public works and labor costs um, down to the project level, not just the funding level right now. That is correct. Well, thank you. Uh, it was very informative and very helpful. Ms. Angel, thank you for joining us today. So now we'll uh, switch back to finding number one. I'm back to Yano, HKA, and CSA to share with us a little bit of a background on, uh, on this finding number one and why it is in the audit report. Eugene, please go ahead. Thank you. Okay. Um, this actually, um, in some cases, we will um, pick procurements at random. In other cases, we will look at procurements that uh, we think might have a higher risk um, and therefore are not picked at random. Um, in this case, uh, we started with what we thought was a high-risk procurement. And um, it's public information that the consultant to whom the um, contract was, was ultimately awarded actually had a, um, an investment with the former general manager. And we looked at the um, the timeline of what was published in the um, in the papers and also was able to um, verify this by look by looking at information from the assessor's office on timeline and uh, so there's more than just um, information from from the newspapers there is information that we were able to verify um, with the assessor and bottom line is um, there was the uh, president of the consultant and the former general manager had an investment for the in in the neighborhood of about eight years together um, the president of the consultant uh, sold uh, the 50 percent interest to the general manager in the neighborhood of you know this is in in the neighborhood of three weeks after selling the in uh, 50 percent share to the former general manager an rfp came out for um consulting services and so this um the consulting firm owned by this person uh uh was one of the two uh uh, winning bidders because only two um, 
proposals were submitted. And uh, because of the circumstances, we were looking at the you know specific need for um, uh, you know conflict of interest statements. And um, as it turns out, if there was um, the same the same number or less uh, bids submitted for the number of contracts to be awarded. Um, the uh, conflict of interest statements on the evaluation of the contract was uh, was not necessarily required. Um, and we were looking at that and saying, well, even in that instance, and especially in a case like this, uh, we were looking for the conflict of interest statements because um, at least we need there we wanted the uh, independence uh, to make sure that every um, proposal met at least met the requirements of the RFP. And you know versus um, and, and we agree that you know there, the competitive situation in which um, you were going to um, award contracts uh, to bidders and specifically not award contracts to bidders uh, did not apply here because uh, there were two contracts to be awarded and only two bidders. However, um, we would still want to see the um, independence um, and conflict of interest on at least evaluating the each proposal to make sure that um, the proposals uh, did meet the uh, requirements of the RFP. So that's the background of that. Thank you for that. that, that that's very helpful. Uh, any any other thoughts from CSA or HKA? None at this time. Thank you for that. Um, well, then we'd like to turn it over to PUC. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Yep, AGM Stephen Robinson again. Um, this one, just to put it up front, is obviously a little bit more sensitive. Um, and I would say today our, our job is not necessarily to get into the situation around our former general manager, Carla Kelly. However, the recommendation we did partially concur with because there was some discussion and debate around the timing of when certain requirements for what we were required to do around confidentiality came into effect. Um, so I have with me today our subject matter expert who manages our conflict administration bureau, Ivy Fine, who can kind of work through our response for why to, and to explain why we partially concurred um, and to offer some insight. Thank you. Great. Welcome. Thank you very much. With pleasure. Um, as Stephen introduced me, my name is Ivy Fine and I manage the contract administration bureau. Um, just as a little bit of background, um, please don't ask me any questions from 1995 because <laughs> I arrived here in 2005. Um, my background is I went to law school, worked in a law firm, realized litigation was not for me, went in-house at a publicly traded program management company over, as a general counsel overseeing engineering and construction subsidiaries, and then joined the PUC in 2005 um, when the Water System Improvement Program was starting up. Because to that, before 2005, um, the volume of PUC contracts was nominal compared to post-2005, as we all know with all of our large capital improvement programs. 
Um, also on the line, who, might, who I've invited to chime in to correct me, is my colleague Kendra Cox, who's a card-carrying member of the California Bar. And I'm really proud of Kendra because she came in working for our real estate division, then came to the Contract Administration Bureau working in our construction contract group, then went over to the Professional Services Contracting Group, and now is the manager of that group. So it's a pleasure to have her on the line as well. Kendra, you're on. You can hear me. Yep, I'm here. I can hear you. Hopefully you can hear me. Awesome. Don't forget to correct me. Um, okay, so um, before I jump into the recommendation number one from the auditor, um, I'm pleased to say that the SFPUC contracting group is in compliance with all state laws as well as city laws, policies, rules, and procedures. We look with fresh eyes and will continue to look with fresh eyes and work with our city agency partners, such as the controller's office, the city administrator's office, the city attorney's office, as well as other city departments, contracting groups to maintain the integrity of the procurement process. I'm a person who really likes examples. So I'm gonna give you a few examples of how we do this. One is all SFPUC solicitations and contract and bid documents have a check and balance review process wherein the solicitation documents are reviewed by individuals at different levels and solicitations with written and or oral evaluation phases are also reviewed by the city attorney's office prior to advertisement. The contract administration group or bureau um, has all hands meetings twice a month with the city attorney's office. And we review um, contracting matters on current solicitations and contracts, as well as conduct trainings on, that can range from how to review um, and be a good partner on reviewing minimum qualifications, how to review and interpret city codes and policies and their applicability to our contracts. SFPUC also leads a twice a month call um, with all chapter six departments. And some of you may know or some of you may not know that there are two administrative code sections that, apply, that mostly apply to contracts. One is chapter six. And just in brief, think about anything construction related. Literally, you put a shovel in the ground or you might, so all construction contracts, as well as all professional service contracts that lead to construction. Those may be architectural, engineering, design. The other section is chapter 21. Chapter 21 is everything not related to construction. Those could be financial advisory services, human resources services, uh, everything from hospital beds to pencils to emergency vehicles. So SFPUC actually leads a call with all other Chapter 6 city departments to talk about city policies, rules, certain procurements, um, and make sure that we're sharing best practices. SFPUC also participates twice a month on a similar type of call with all of the Chapter 21 departments. 
Um, SFPUC is also a core leader on the City Procurement Advisory Board, which is led by the City Administrator's Office, um, which looks at all departments' best practices, as well as how to establish best practices citywide, best procurement um, practices reviewing applicable city laws, policies, and practices. Um, so now I'll discuss the recommendation by the auditor, which is two prompts. One is to follow the guidelines or the guidance of the COSO framework, which Nancy Holm already discussed. And the second prong was to require SFPUC staff to sign impartiality and conflict of interest statements and confidentiality agreements on all solicitations over 500,000. Do I press down, please? All right. So um, these, the slide that was just up and this slide go over the recommendation. Um, and now I'm going to jump into specifically what PUC does. So um, all city staff involved in the development of administration or evaluation sign an acknowledgement of impartiality and confidentiality. Um, this includes contract analysts and anyone in the Contract Administration Bureau. That includes myself all the way down to our lower level administrative support. Any city staff developing or reviewing solicitations, that includes staff from other bureaus or divisions that are developing or reviewing solicitations, um, and staff reviewing or evaluating for minimum qualifications. To give an example of um, how this works is besides the once a year, everybody signing that form and we keep a copy in our contract folders, is we have an online um, system for our development of our request for proposals as, as called SFBID. And contract managers go into SFBID, they create their request for proposal. And after multiple levels of reviews, we actually use that online system. Any one of you can log in and see it. Uh, and we advertise our solicitations, and we actually receive proposals in that same system. And on the internal side of that system, anyone, regardless of who they are and what level, including myself, including Stephen, if you wanted to look at an RFP. When they click on that folder to open up the development, during the development stage, pre-advertisement of that solicitation, a impartiality and confidentiality uh, agreement pops up and is required to be signed the first time any person logs in. So it's a really nice way of a checks and balance to be able to do that. Um, all panelists who score proposals sign an acknowledgement of impartiality and confidentiality, and that has occurred even longer than I've been at the PUC. I don't know when that started, but it applies to all of our, um, all of our solicitations um, that include evaluation. Um, I don't really have anything else specifically prepared, although 
Stephen knows he can't even shut me up when it comes to contracts. I love them and talking about them. So please, if you have any questions, it's my pleasure to respond. Thank you. Very informative and very helpful. Um, any questions for Ms. Nadek? I have a question. Please. Um, I hope the, I have an answer. The Audit Bureau look into this to ensure that policies are properly implemented. It's one of, well, you know, every division at the PUC has a policy procedure. So, you know, we abide by procedures. So, in, in Ivy's case, you're working with the Office of Contract Administration and and, and those policies are what what we got, you know, we abide by. You know, every department in the city is allowed to have their own policies and procedures, and typically they can be more strict, not more lax. Um, and so, Irela's team, the Audit Bureau, as we're working on these uh, these reviews, you know, responding to to your audit, um, we ensure that uh, working with, with Steve and Ivy that their policies are in adherence or along the same guidelines as the city. Um, you know, that, that, that goes the same for our accounting guidelines, et cetera. I think one of the things I do want to highlight is that, again, um, though the city has governing policies, our department, we also have our additional policies. Those may be more strict. Um, when you are looking at an internal control framework, you know, it's, it's really at the end of the day, you're mitigating your risk of whatever the issue or the concern is. And so there are different different ways to do that. And I know I noticed earlier in her response, in Ivy's response on the slide that in addition, you know, we are an, um, we are abiding by current all city policies, but at the same time, you know, we ensure that our staff are um, aware of statement of incompatible activities. They are completing the forms. And these are additional levels of control that we embed in our organization. So that's just one of the example I wanted to share. Thank you for that. Um, anybody else? The committee have any questions? Any, any thoughts? I don't have a question with the committee for, for this presentation, which is very informational. Appreciate it. Um, but I think I asked this to the um, committee before. Like, given the circumstances um, and um, the risk raised by the auditor in connection with the questioned. Of 15.36 million expenditures, should we and how sh we should, um, as a committee, like request the final results of the like the um, um, litigation findings in connection with the the, um, the bond proceeds and expenditures. Is there a process we need to do? Hi, Catherine Thursby, Ortega, Deputy City Attorney that advises Arbach. Um, when you say you want to request the results of litigation, do you mean the results of the criminal action? Um, no, I specifically ask for the risk that have been identified as auditor in the report regards to the question that 15.36 million of the expenditure associated with the, the contract award that has been discussed in the report. Um, I think that the that the ARBOT could request a 
could request a risk assessment from the city attorney's office with respect to this item. Um, I would need to confer with the PUC's general counsel on to what extent we would be able to share that. Much of it may be attorney-client privileged, I would guess. Um, but I could, if the RBOC would like to formally make that request, then I can ask Cheryl Bregman to provide a response to bring to a future RBOC meeting. Delighted. Okay. What like does that? the rest of the committee think? Do you guys feel like it's our job to, to find out what exactly is? Are there any associates or any exposure, any risks? Or what do you think material? Any recourse? What, what I'm hearing is you would like to find out more about this. at a future meeting, um, what, uh, what that think, could look like and if it's possible. I think the RBOC should make a request, um, probably in writing. I don't think it needs to be a formal action um, to the city attorney's office, which I can present to Cheryl and have her respond in writing to the same. Um, my strong suspicion is that much of what you're curious about is going to be attorney-client privilege between the PUC and its staff. And, you know, she can share what she can, but because of the nature of this topic, it's not likely that you will receive much information that's not already public. Well, thank you for that. That's very helpful. Um, okay, so that's something that Arbo can do in writing to the DCA or Tego for further action. Anything else on this uh, topic here, uh, audit uh, phase two, finding number one or number two? Well, I don't think so. So with that, I would like to thank Ms. Fine and Mr. Robinson for joining Thanks us today. Much. Thank you. This was very helpful. So Mr. Clark, over to you. Do we have anyone here in the Tuolumne room who has public comment on this discussion? Do we have anyone connected remotely who has public comment on the discussion for agenda item number three? If so, please raise your hand inside Teams and we will get to you in order. Mr. Chair, it appears we have no speakers. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, public comment is now closed. Please call up the next agenda item. Just a note for the record that Arbach is not taking any other action on this Discussion and we'll move forward in our agenda. The next item is agenda item number four. It is audit updates. Members of RBOC shall discuss the status of ongoing audits. This is a discussion and possible action item. We'll be taking public comments as part of that discussion. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. So this uh, agenda item is um, audit number three. Uh, that is uh, ongoing right now. And I would like to turn it over to the CSA and the audit team for an update. Thank you, Committee Chair. Uh, Hunter Wong again with CSA. Um, no, no substantive updates on phase three. Um, we have provided our information request to PUC based on our initial um, entrance conference. They are actively providing us documentation. Um, we received actually a, a lot of documentation and data from them recently. So we're just in process of reviewing that and making sure we have everything or following up with the department for any more. But um, that's it right now. Thank you. 
Uh, does the committee have any questions, any thoughts? Concerns? No, thank you. Uh, uh, I actually have a question yes. about the. Uh, Can you cover? Yeah. Plenty of space now. <laughs> uh, this is uh, CCA Ortega again. Um, I, you know, I have a question based upon the question I received at our last meeting about the RFP for the scoping of Audit 3. Um, I know I've emailed uh, several members. Sorry, that's not that's that. Not, not this. Okay. No. My apologies. No, I will no bring this up next time. <laughs> uh, that, that comes next. That's the next okay. item. That's the next item. Yep. All right. So uh, ongoing audit number three. Uh, then we're ready for public comments. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Do we have anyone here in the room who has public comments on agenda item number four related to the audit update? It appears we have none. Do we have anyone connected remotely who has public comment on an audit update for agenda item number four? So please raise your hand inside Teams. And Mr. Chair, it appears once again we have no speakers. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment is now closed. Uh, please call the next item. Hang on just a moment. I'll make sure that I have my notes in order from the previous item. And I should note for the record that Arbach is taking no action on this agenda item at this time. Sorry to make you wait. Agenda item number five is planning for future audits. Members of Arbach shall discuss planning for future audits to evaluate the performance of projects funded by revenue bonds. This is also a discussion and possible action item and like items. Elsewhere in our agenda, we are taking public comments as part of the discussion. Uh, thank you, Mr. Kirk. So we'd like to turn it over to uh, Member Tang, who is leading this uh, um, agenda item, followed by DCA Ortega. So um, basically, the committee has um, dedicated me and Member uh, Lucy to work directly with DSA on drafting RSP for this potential evaluation. Oh, um, yeah, evaluation. So we, um, the committee has already approved the draft of RFP um, a few months ago and sent to the city attorney for their review and approval. So recently, um, Member Ruthie and I were informed that this RFP were returned by the city attorney's um, office. Um, and unfortunately, they're not ready to present their legal findings at this meeting. But I believe the plan is um, the city attorney will present their legal findings at the next uh, ARBOC meeting with their recommendations for the next steps. Uh, thank you, Member Tank. Do you mind just for this audience just to briefly just share with us an overview of what you envision with this uh, with this audit? Um, so I believe so if I. If I remember correctly, so basically the the, the summary of the legal finding is um, the scope of this uh, RFP is has been determined being outside of the RBOG um, allowed activities. So there are some um, reasoning behind it, but I don't feel comfortable presenting city attorney's findings, so that's up, that's why I prefer them to make the presentation, which cannot happen at this meeting. We'll have to wait until next meeting. Got it. Thank you. CCA um. for Ortega again, and my apologies. There are so many audits, and they are referred to different, numerically differently by different departments. Um, 
you know, to support Member Tang and Member Vuthi, I think that the BCAs who reviewed the RFP within the same RFP review process that was just discussed under a prior agenda item today looked at the scoping of the current proposal and said that it, you know, this doesn't match with the permitted activities within RBOC's ordinance and it doesn't match to prior RFPs that have been presented before. Um, I have, I can provide a brief discussion of that today. I, I don't know that we'll be able to bring a full team of city attorneys in to present as extensively as Nancy and her team have presented today. Um, so it's really kind of up to you. I can present a brief discussion now of my understanding as to why it was returned. Yeah, I, I think what would be helpful is perhaps if you can share at a high level, what would, what would you like to accomplish with this? And then what the legal issue might be. Oh, Not the specific yeah. legal issues, but at a high level. What do we want to get out of it? We would like to, so given the amount of effort this committee has been put on this RFP, so right, so we had um, this um, um, draft scope of work developed by the committee back in 2021, um, and we have been discussing those informally for like the past um, you know, four years. Um, um, I think we deserve, as a committee, deserve a reason why this RFP is being returned um, now, like right before the advertisement. So I would like a formal presentation by the city attorney give us and also allow discussions by the committee um, for us to, you know, in order for us to agree with, to agree with them, the findings. <coughs> so, you know, of course the desire was for this RFP to be distributed as planned. But if there is any reason it cannot, um, why this was not brought up um, early, um, why this was just brought up now, I believe that's a reason. Yeah, so Catherine Thursby Ortega, DCA, again. Um, from I, I spoke with four different DCAs. You know, of course, I just joined the city attorney's office back in August. So I don't have awareness of how long this project has been in the works. Um, I first spoke with Mark Blake. He has advised me that he only reviews RFPs for RBOC at RBOC's request, and this was not one he had yet had a chance to review. Um, I also spoke with Rosa Sanchez, who is the DCA, who again works with CSA um, through the RFP process that we described earlier. And so she had, you know, had an independent eye on this, and she only received the RFP and became aware of RBOC's voter approved status and its ordinance after I joined um, the PC. So, you know, the analysis was that RBOC has a relatively limited role in terms of how it can spend its set aside, and that is to review disbursement and expenditure proceeds under admin code section 5A.31C6. And historically, We've allowed the DCAs, or and specifically Mark, have allowed a bit more latitude to look into the topic of waste. So again, the reports and findings that we were talking about today were explorations of whether or not bond proceeds have been wasted or improperly and illegally spent on projects, in you know, or in manners that were would would prompt an illegal expenditure. 
so that's you know that's kind of the limit of what we can retain an independent consultant to look at. Now Arbok has other powers and different practices it can undertake under the ordinance independently, but those are not those are not practices and things that can request or look into via retaining an external auditor to make that exploration. Um, a separate concern that was raised, and this is my own personal concern, is the expenditure of Section 103 tax restricted bond dollars on more operational um, operational types of review and not on project-based review. I have a bit of concern about a tax issue that could arise from explorations that become much broader than just looking at the specific projects that are financed by those bond proceeds. So those are, those are some basic concerns that have been raised. We could, perform, we could produce something more formal, but I don't know if that really helps our body advance its, advance its project if the project is so, so far outside of what the legal advice will be. Well, thank you for that. Um, frankly, I'm a little bit confused. So um, my recollection is that the goal at a high level is to understand if projects that have been funded through bond proceeds are properly maintained and their performance designed. Mm -hmm. Is that a good way to put it? Yes. Um, and that is very pro project specific. So it's not broad catch-all. So that would be pick one project, whatever that might be, a building, a facility, a pipe, a dam, or whatever that might be, and to really look at that very individual, very specific project, whether that project is indeed performing as originally intended and is maintained to perform as originally intended. So that was my understanding of what this project was looking for. So it looks like there is a little bit of a disconnect here that the city attorney's office is looking at it from a much broader Monday perspective, perspective that perhaps you originally intended. Is that a fair way to look at it? Um, I don't think so. I, I think um, the objectives um, that um, um, described in the draft RFP is clearly, um, I mean, presents what you just said about what's our goal and um, um, very uh, Consistently, so I don't, I don't, I don't see where the loophole is. Yeah, so yeah. maybe it might be valuable to have a conversation with that individual to actually review the document to hear directly from the person's mouth and see what the issue might be. I, I think that I think there's clarity that the scope we're seeking to evaluate infrastructure planning, construction performance based on design criteria, and whether the SFP performs adequate maintenance. Where the disconnect is between the ordinance language and what our mm -hmm. funds can be spent on, that's not a permissible expenditure of our box funds. Our box funds can be spent on an evaluation of the disbursement and expenditure proceeds. And that is not that's not mm -hmm. broadly encompassing this infrastructure, construction and maintenance scope. And you know, separately we have sec we have separate charter language under Section 8B120 and 121 
that leaves, you know, matters of design criteria and maintenance exclusively to the PUC's exclusive jurisdiction. There's, you know, there's separate charter language that protects the PUC's ability to look at and govern those topics. If I yeah. understand that. Uh, apologies. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it sounds like maintenance would not be within the scope of RBOC. Mm -hmm. Not as the ordinance is currently drafted. You know, and there are two paths forward here. First, RBOC could recompose this RFP to look more like prior audits, mm. focusing in on disbursement and expenditure of proceeds and on topics of waste, similar to the topics that were discussed mm -hmm. today. The separate option would be, and I'm aware that the ordinance has already been advanced for renewal at the board level, we could seek to make a change to that ordinance to permit more broad explorations going forward that would look into design criteria and maintenance. I am not sure at this point whether that would be in alignment with the charter language, which is why I mentioned that specific yeah. charter yeah. language yeah. that yeah. gives the PUC that exclusive authority. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like yeah. reformulating the RFP might be the easiest way to go. I think reformulating the RFP to fit within, at least within prior RFP scoping, um, and certainly you know, again, this is an RFP for an external consultant, so we have to be mindful, or the RBOC yeah. needs to be mindful of spending the dollars in alignment with what the ordinance yeah. says. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, would it be possible to, for someone, consider for yourself to do or for someone else, to provide guidance on how, where the boundaries really are so that it can be reform, reformulated in a way that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to provide, maybe we could do this in January, a discussion of what RBOC's parameters are within the ordinance, both what RBOC can look at itself and also what it can pay external auditors yeah. to look at. Um, or, or maybe it could even be a, a working conversation, perhaps, mm -hmm. depending on what it will be, if someone comes to the ceiling office to go through it. So, before we talk about that, so since you just discussed about the audience, um, I just want to point out, you know, I um, um, I included in the email to you the other day, so I, I read um, the bylaw, RBOC bylaw section 3. Um, it says basically, you know, one of the purposes of RBOC is to make sure the revenue bond proceeds are appropriately expended for authorized capital improvements so that net on interrupted supply of water and power continues to flow to the city and the commission's customers. So that so it sounds to me, you know, it's consistent with the objective of the RFP. So you know, I would request um you know Captain or you can have that information if they can take a look at those uh, yeah. bylaw, the section of the bylaw and see if uh, that will change any of those. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I don't think we're going to solve it right now. Yeah, I uh, think it, yeah, I think it's better to continue to email on this. I will note that 
just from a legal prioritization standpoint, we must abide by charter language first, ordinance language second, and the bylaws are ARBAC's own internal rules that it selected for itself and its rules of order. And so if in any case a bylaw were to contradict the ordinance, the ordinance would govern over the bylaw. Committee think uh, would be best to 
have the city attorney's office presenting generally the the sort of the scope and boundaries of RPAP, or it would be best to do some homework uh, directly and do some work with city attorney's office ahead of the meeting, uh, specifically related to this proposal. Given it's December 12th, and our next meeting is, I think, January 9th or something like that, um, I think that a presentation at the next meeting of what the boundaries are and the methods in which Barba can do what it can do would be really helpful before we think about it. And then either immediately after if the committee's ready or maybe the next meeting we can talk about whether and how we need to reformulate the Assuming a lot of people have some plans for the holidays, I think we'll be less available even than usual. So uh, it seems not very realistic to me to get a lot done between this and next meeting. Yeah, thank you for that. Okay. Okay. And, and perhaps like a written memo would be useful mm -hmm. that could be provided to us in advance of um, the next meeting. And, and timing wise, um, our bus is meeting on January 9th. Uh, would that work? Is it something we can add to the agenda? Yes, and I think particularly if we can get you guys a written demo before, and then perhaps the agenda items could just be questions and comments on that, then I can, um, you know, if we can get you a memo sooner, well in advance of the agenda, then I could bring the voices to the table, whether they dial in or um, that we and I'm sorry, the memo, not just saying what our roles and responsibilities are, but how you believe that this request, mm -hmm. um, you know, deviates from that um, and potential ways that it could be, you know, uh, brought it back into to compliance. Uh, one other idea, just kind of throwing it out there, um, I, I know at some point in the near future, I believe, Mr. Chair, you'll be presenting at the PC Commission for the annual report. I don't know when that's coming up. Um, Commission in the spring. February. Yeah. If it would be such a dramatic, <laughs> if, if, if the attorney's advice would be to amend this in such a way that it really doesn't get to you know, our goals as to what we're actually looking for potentially could be something that we request the commission to, uh, you know, authorize. I will say that your ordinance does not run through the commission. It runs through the Board of Supervisors. So if you would like to, again, request information that's different in the terms of the scope of the current ordinance, that needs to go through the Board of Supervisors, and that needs to probably be done in the context of an amendment to the existing ordinance, which we've already advanced for renewal of our box. Um, so it's a bit trickier yeah. than- I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not asking the commission. commission to give us power. I'm asking if we could ask the commission to request this okay. report directly, and not necessarily through us. As the <laughs> just it's just an idea I'm putting out there. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, <laughs> I think we really need to understand scope first. If 
is not clear how this concept, if it's like a blanket, right? Is, is just my toe sticking out in terms of scope, or is it the full body here? So I think it would be useful to, to, to have an understanding there uh, where we are at. Uh, anything else on this topic? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Clark, we're ready for Thank public comments. Do we have anyone here in the Tuolumne room who has public comments on their discussion that they would like to share? It appears that we have none. Do we have anyone connected remotely who has public comment on this agenda item number five? If so, raise your hand at this time. We have a speaker. It's, sorry, actually, this is not meant to be public comment. Um, this is CSA. I, can I still make a comment for CSA on this item? Sorry. I know I, I may be going a little out of order. Let's, or it can be included as public comment. I don't Mr. Wong, let's hang on for a moment and clear out public comment if we have any at all, and then we'll address your concerns next. Understood. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on this agenda item number five? Mr. Chair. Uh, thank you. Uh, public comment is uh, closed. Uh, CSA, go ahead. Uh, just a very quick comment. Um, depending on how, uh, depending on these discussions between Arbok and City Attorney, and how, and coming up with a way to proceed with the RFP, um, one item that uh, CSA, CSA essentially had a MOU with Arbok for the phase for the uh, bond expenditure audits that we're currently doing right now that we're on phase three for. Um, and as part of that MOU, that included us doing, um, that included the work for administering the RFP for, on behalf of Arbok. So um, we wanted to bring that back to the attention of Arbok that we, that we would like to request uh, creating an MOU governing this engagement, um, which would include the uh, administration of the RFP that CSA is doing right now. But it sounds like that, I, I don't think we need to do anything with that until there is more clarity on how this RFP is moving forward. Well, thank you for the clarification. That, uh, that's very helpful. Okay. Well, thank you. So now we're ready for the next uh, agenda item. Very good, Mr. Chair. I will note for the record that the committee is taking no action on this discussion item right now. The next agenda item is agenda item number six related to the ARBOC account balance. Members of ARBOC should discuss the status of ARBOC account balance accrued at the rate of 120th and 1% of the gross proceeds from each issuance or sale of public utility revenue bonds pursuant to admin code section 5A31. It is a discussion and potential action item and will be taking public comments as part of the discussion. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clark. So the, the, uh, the genesis of this agenda item was Mr. Sklarov remarked a few uh, weeks ago, months ago, that with the recent issuance of bonds to fund the uh, wastewater project, the balance, um, uh, the ARBA balance has increased substantially, uh, as I'd like, you know, above because of the issue of, of, this bond, of these bonds. And, uh, and his question was, um, what should Arbok do about this bump on the on the balance? So, I had a conversation both with uh, Mr. Klarov and with uh, uh, the CA Blake and the CA Ortega about. Uh, uh, Member Tank, we will lose quorum if you leave. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Klarov. So this is really so I I, I asked with this uh, year Ortega and 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 this year Blake and and Mr. Carl, um, 
about, you know, what are the options here if Arbok determines that the balance might be too high? Is this a, could Arbok make a decision to potentially return part of the um, high balance to ratepayers or to capital projects? So that's as far as we went with with the conversation. Uh, so it's really for Arbok to assess this balance and determine um, if it is too high, and if so, uh, whether Arbok would like to return part of the balance to, I guess, ratepayers or the capital side. So I think the first question is, is the balance too high? And I believe there is a, a report. Uh, we have a report dated June 30th uh, that was part of the, of the packet. If I remember correctly, it was 1.1 million, right, on that balance. Subsequent to that, there was the issuance of the wastewater bonds that brings up the balance somewhere between 1.2 1.3 million. So it's about $300,000, $400,000 higher than the typical Arbonne balance for the past few years. So the question for the committee is, does the committee feel that this balance is too high? Just to see the chair on the box. I have a question first. So do we receive any interest earnings on the balance? I think this might be a question for you. I have to find out. Sir, <laughs> um, so we have a uh, comment here from DCA Ortega. Hi, this is DCA Ortega. Nancy Hom can double check whether or not the RBAC is receiving, is, in, is accruing interest on these funds. I will note these are bond funds that have been borrowed. So the PUC is actually paying interest on the same funds because they are again, derived from bonds. Thank you. Uh, just to, this is number three, just, I, I'm just looking at my notes from last meeting, which are obviously not the official record, but I noted that we expected our balance to be made closer to 1.6. So, Chair, I just wanted to note since you had checked your numbers since last meeting, maybe I took my notes incorrectly. I haven't checked the numbers. Okay. Uh, I think it just clarifies the basic balance, but it's, it's, I was, what I mentioned a little bit earlier was going from memory. So okay. it might be correct. Even higher. I, okay. No, I don't think it's higher. I, it's somewhere between 1.3 and 1.6, those are about. Okay. And, and I think you mentioned that on average, going from memory, historically, Arbok has had about a million, right? Give or say, yeah. Okay. So uh, to give a sense of the expenditures, so each one of the three yeah. audits, again, going from memory, is somewhere around 300. Three hundred and fifty thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Yeah. So as the the balance was fairly stable because there was some incremental bonds of fees mm -hmm. and then expenditures the related to, to, to and that was after audit two had been closed out and paid off. Uh, audit number two. I don't know for a fact that it's fully paid. Uh, that that will be a question really for Mr. Clark. Do, do you happen to know? So do you mind? The balance of June 30th was 1.8 million on the, the report. On the 1.8. So this was Mr. Sklarov saying that. And that would not include the wastewater power bond, which we presented at your last. Thank you for that. So the, the balance is actually higher. 
turns out is 1.8 prior to the waste water. So on the basis of those numbers, the balance is approximately a million higher than what it has historically been. So the question for the committee is uh, whether the committee feels that this balance might be too high and some of the funds should go back to repairs of capital projects. That makes sense to me, Member Murphy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it seems like a large balance for ARBOC, but kind of a drop in the bucket for PUC, you know, capital funds overall. Um, so, I mean, we could give some of it back. I don't think anyone's going to see any meaningful savings on their bills if we do. I think um, given, you know, such a high balance, and we currently do not have uh, a lot of projects. As long as um, we, when we consider the amount to be given back, um, is considered the projects we have on mind and um, potential. So yeah, I I, think I I support the idea of essentially uh, bringing it back to the average. Is that the fair way to look at it? Part of my conversation with Mr. Sklarov and and NBCA or Sega NBCA Blake was about understanding what the mechanics of doing so might be, because they're not straightforward. I mean, from an accounting perspective, it would be a general ledger entry, but that would be too easy. Uh, and certainly, there are some legal implications to all of this. Uh, and and I don't know, NBCA um, or Sega, perhaps you have an update on this, or or it's still in the works. Hi, um, I think it's still in the works. If we have an action from ARBOC, what I would like to do would be to touch base with one of our external tax counsel, um, probably our external wastewater tax counsel, to confirm a structure that we could abide by, either a gift by resolution of ARBOC, or um, I, th I think that's the best when we use the word gift, an unrestricted transfer back and whether or not that's permissible, again, because these are bond dollars, they're Section 103 restricted, and they are already deemed to be expenditures, expended bond proceeds pursuant to the capital plan. Um, so that's, you know, that's where we are right now, but I, I would prefer that there would be a formal action of ARBOC that would authorize and request the PUC to solicit the information from the tax council. So would that be uh, a resolution of our box, or what would that be? Uh, yeah, I think a resolution, a vote today, a resolution of our box to explore, explore to to, ex to explore and to seek to, to seek to direct the PUC to seek the advice of tax counsel as to how to effectuate a gift okay. or um, a transfer. This is again probably going pretty far outside of our <laughs> scope of authority here. But just in my experience at the budget analyst's office, you know, when we propose budget cuts that are made by the board of supervisors, typically it's not some type of a rebate back to taxpayers or ratepayers, but it's what's called an add back where the funding is used for some type of community benefit program. For example, when we did the tour of uh, <laughs> the Hetch Hetchy project, as we were driving by, I think it was Sunset Reservoir, there was a little playground on PUC property, 
that was built using basically funds that were cut out of the PUC budget. Um, if we were to cut, I don't know, I, I don't know what you're thinking, half a million dollars, a, a few hundred thousand, some amount like that, is there some way to potentially direct it to community benefits or something like that? Um, okay. We can ask the tax council. My hunch will be, as someone who has been a bond attorney, that these need to be directed back to capital projects because they are borrowed bond funds that are restricted by Section 103 of the tax code. They're even more highly restricted than ratepayer dollars. Mm -hmm. So we would need to develop a method that would even ensure that they probably go back in a proportional way to the enterprises that funded the set-aside. PUC certainly has a lot of capital projects in the pipeline. So mm -hmm. it will, there will always be an important way and place to spend these dollars, even though they may seem small and like a small drop in the bucket. They are a small drop in the bucket that will prevent a, a small drop in the bucket from ratepayers needing to pitch in for their so. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, yes, please. Uh, this is uh, Ms. Um, Nancy Hong from CFO and Business Services. I just want to add to the conversation that we, we do care about every dollar and cent. You know, it does go back to our, our projects and you know we we are cost conscious, we want to be efficient. And so if we are able to receive anything, you know, we would greatly appreciate that and ensure that it goes back to the value add to our to our rate payers. Thank you. Um, uh, does, is the committee uh, comfortable to ask DCA Ortega to explore the mechanics of how to do this by through a resolution? Yes. Thank you. And DCA Ortega, uh, would you mind uh, sh perhaps formulating a, 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 the text of a resolution for us that we can uh, all agree to? drafting in my mind right now. Uh, if I can jump yeah. in real quick, is this something that needs to be decided at this moment? Could we have text actually drafted and added to a future agenda packet for you to review and take formal action on that May and January? Uh, and having that text be, be presented to you as a resolution to be adopted at that meeting. We can certainly do that. Is that yeah. Yeah, reduce the pressure then to okay. okay. Just in my mind right now. Okay. Yeah. Very but good. but I'll note for the minutes in here that I see Arbach having a, a, a broadly shared informal enthusiasm for pursuing this, and we'll come back to it in the future with something textual to approve. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, very good. Anything else on this topic? All right. Very good. Ready for public comment. Do we have anyone here in Swami Room with public comment on this agenda item number six? It appears we have none. Do we have anyone connected remotely who has public comment on agenda item number six? Please indicate your interest by raising your hand. And it appears that we have none once again, Mr. Chair. Public comment is now closed. Uh, the next agenda item, please. I'll note 
that we're taking no other action on this agenda item at this time, but it is likely to appear on a future agenda with an approval action tied to it. The next agenda item, agenda item number seven, it is approval of the presentation of the November 14, 2023 RBOC meeting minutes, a discussion and potential action item will be taking public comments as part of the discussion. Thank you, Mr. Flick. And uh, does the committee have any comments on the minutes? Uh, Member Boosie, I just noted one typo in um, agenda item four in the last sentence. Uh, Vice Chair Camp has noted not should be present, I think. Oh, precept. Yeah. Thank you. I'll change it. Was he precept? <laughs> Great. Anything else? One right. question uh, for Mr. Scarlock. Uh, series 2023AB, is that a correct bond issuance on item 5? 2023AB, is that correct? Or is it A and B? That's correct. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. If there are no more comments, may I have a motion to approve and a second, please? We have to check the public comments, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Sorry about that. Does anyone in the room have public comments on the form of the minutes? It appears we have none. Do we have anyone connected remotely who has comments on the form of the minutes? And once again, Mr. Chair, it appears we have none. Public comment is closed. Thank you. All right, I'll move to approve the minutes. Second. On the motion offered by Chair Leal and seconded by Member Tang to approve the minutes with one clerical change on that motion, noting Member Camp absent. Member Boothie. Aye. Boothie, aye. Member Tang. Aye. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, minutes. Uh, the motion is passed as closed. Next agenda item, please. Agenda item number eight. Announcements, comments, questions, future agenda items, the discussion and possible action item will be taking public comments as part of that discussion. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, so we have dates for our meetings through May. That's great. We know from Mr. Camp that he will be out at least through April. Uh, and it will update uh, the clerk uh, when it will be back in uh, San Francisco. Um, is there any update, I believe this is Mr. Claros, uh, from the public affairs team on appointments to RBOC from the controller's office uh, and the mayor? Uh, so no update on that. Is there anything else for the committee? or anyone really here in the room would like to cover? Uh, Mr. Chair, I should mention, um, I was tasked at the previous meeting with doing an investigation for some information related to <laughs> item F on this list. And I apologize to all the members of our box. 
completely buried in land use and transportation committee, and I have not undergone this investigation yet. But things will clear up at the end of this week, and I'll have time between now and January to take a look at who was presenting back in 2015 and 2016 in response to that item, and perhaps to be able to address some of the issues that have resulted in this being on your forward calendar for what I imagine is a long time. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for the updates, and, and certainly we appreciate very much your work in finding this historical information. Uh, Member Vicky. Yes, uh, Member Vicky here. We, it was raised, but then we didn't um, really discuss, and I'm wondering if we do want to put it on a further agenda for discussion. I think it was raised in public comment, and we kind of thought about it. Do we want to? If they were thinking about changing the frequency of meetings every two months, every I, we had a very loaded agenda today, so maybe that would indicate that we keep meeting monthly. But I, I thought it was worth uh, discussing whether or not we want to discuss. Um, if I if I may, in response through the chair to Member Busey, uh the first order of business or among the first order of business at the January meeting should be an actual formal setting of the calendar for the future year. That's set out in the RBOC bylaws. So you could make that decision at the January meeting as relates to how frequently you want to meet when you have that calendar presented to you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, how does the committee feel about meeting on a monthly basis as we're doing now or maybe bi-monthly? Any, any thoughts or? I don't have particular opinions. I think maybe, you know, we could cancel a meeting every now and then if you know if we don't have too much pressing uh, material to cover. Sounds like we have several items for January, so um, maybe we could think about it then if we need to meet in February or not. Because um, cancel a meeting is much easier than schedule a special meeting. For sure. Um, how does DSC feel about monthly meetings versus bi-monthly I think uh, we support whatever the community needs to do. I support, you know, what what uh, a cadence that works for the committee. And I, I think canceling when you need to, we'll, we support that, and we'll, we'll make sure that our our teams are here to answer any questions and make presentations for your schedule. Thank you. Uh, any other comments? On this item. The meeting is adjourned. Nope. <laughs> comment. Do we have anyone who has public comment on future agenda items or these announcements, comments, questions as offered as part of the discussion here in the chamber? Whatever this is, just follow me around. Do we have anyone connected remotely who has public comment on this discussion? Mr. Chair, it appears we have none. Uh, thank you, Mr. Ferg. The public comment is now closed. And this meeting is adjourned. Happy holidays. Happy New Year, everyone. And thank you again uh, for joining uh, today. Happy holidays, Happy holidays everyone. everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.